it's funny because as coaches, we know that the client does all the work, but they're constantly saying, oh, my coach did this, my coach did that. That's the beauty of coaching though, right? It really comes from within the person. We're just asking those questions. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Welcome back, everybody. I'm J.R. Flatter, and this is our podcast, Building a Coaching Culture. As always, I'm here with my millennial co-host, Lucas. Hello. And today, our distinguished guest is Melissa Pegar, who she and I have known each other for a couple of years, and I'm sure we're going to have an exciting conversation today. So I'll just remind everybody, our listeners are leaders of complex organizations who are competing and succeeding in the 21st century labor market. This hyper-competitive isn't going away. The dispersed workforce, virtual, part-time in the office, part-time out. And so how do we become employers of choice? And we're convinced, and I think, Melissa, you are as well, it's through a coaching culture and a coaching style of leadership. So with that, I'll pass the floor to you and let you introduce yourself and then brag about yourself a little bit, if you don't mind. Yes, thank you, JR. So uh, again, my name is Melissa Pagar, and I am here representing the Air Force. I work at the headquarters Air Force in the Force Development Division, and I am currently the program manager for coaching as well as the program manager for mentoring. But I know we're here today to talk more about coaching than mentoring. How did I get here? You know, I feel lucky. I feel very grateful for where I'm at right now. I started off my career probably about 15 years ago as a civilian in the Air Force, started out as a an English as a second language instructor. I've kind of come a long way, but also it's nice because everything I do kind of ties into where I began. So spent time overseas, got to spend time in Albania, Germany, Kyrgyzstan twice, I was there. But I also spent five years in the United Arab Emirates, and there I was the language detachment chief for the Emirati military. And I love teaching. I love cultures, languages, that sort of thing. But I got to the point where I felt like I had the ability to do more for my Air Force and for the airmen and guardians within the Air Force. And so what I did was I decided to embark on a career broadening journey. And that's where I went from teaching English or being part of English as a second language to where I am now in force development. And in terms of coaching, I, again, I feel so grateful because really coaching fell on to, upon to me before I even knew about coaching. <laughs> so like everyone, you know, I think I always thought that coaching was the same as mentoring and very clearly they're not. They're related, of course, and they supplement each other, but they have two different distinct purposes. And so I just feel like my background as an educator, I also have a degree in cultural anthropology. And so just that, that combination of being able to be an instructor or a facilitator and really listen and have that curiosity just helps me as a coach. As the coaching program manager, I have the ability to help others help others. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> no, that's impressive. So 
congratulations and thanks for being here. So I know where you and I really first worked, started working together, you were leading the coaching working group, mm -hmm. which is a joint coaching working group. So you can imagine if you're a civilian listening to this, not familiar with the Department of Defense, probably millions of people you're potentially impacting. And you started with a blank chalkboard a few years ago. So what are some of your lessons learned as you stood up Air Force coaching, but also worked with your other service partners? Mm -hmm stand up their coaching? Probably some of the lessons learned are it's important to get input from different stakeholders. I know you mentioned that we worked with different service sister services. We're doing that, but we're, we also needed to work across the different functions within the Air Force. And while it probably got too big at some point, we did have a working group that consisted of over 100 people from across the Air Force who are really trying to help shape and frame this, this coaching culture. And so it's just, that's how we started. And it was slow. It was slow because, you know, there's the magnitude of the number of people that were part of this working group, as well as all of the different ideas. And like you said, we really started with a blank slate. And so we had to figure out what we wanted our coaching culture to look like. And so in order to do that, we had to, you know, do research, ask around, go to the different sister services, go to the different outside sources and kind of look for the best practices. And so what we found was the way that we decided to organize our approach was using four different in, in the Air Force call of lines of efforts, right? So we wanted to make sure that we had an internal coaching program as well as an external coaching program for executives, senior leaders, so on and so forth. But we also wanted to make sure that we were able to enable our leaders to use coaching skills more informally rather than in a formal coaching session. We also wanted to make sure that we had good messaging, good policy behind it, and so on and so forth. So that was our approach. At this current point, we've kind of gone from, if you take that that crawl, walk, run approach, we're, we're walking. We're, I think we're doing, we're, we're on our way to running. Um, of course, the Air Force, to include the Air National Guard and the reserves, is 700,000 strong. It's hard to scale coaching, but with the different approaches that we have in terms of providing executive coaching to our senior leaders, that's outsourced, of course. And then now we've, we're in the process of creating a coach cadre where we've got internally coached or sorry, trained coaches that are now helping us to provide coaching across the board to that critical middle that might not have the opportunity to receive executive coaching. And then of course there's the, um, if you don't mind, do, do you mind if I tell a story today about something that happened to me today? No, please do. Thank you. So this morning I was talking to a colonel who is, was looking into the number of colonels who have received coaching. And she happened to be one, be a person who was participating in coaching. And she mentioned to me that it's really hard to imagine coaching, you know, in terms of the scalability, you know, providing coaching to everyone. And that's where I had the opportunity to tell her, it's not necessarily about just having coaching engagements for our senior leaders. It's about using your coaching skills. And so I said to her, you know, ma'am, I know you're receiving coaching. You're engaged in a coaching agreement or engagement. And can you tell me how, how do you think that coaching has affected your leadership style just 
by, by virtue of being in a coaching engagement. And she said to me, well, you know, I, I thank you for asking me that because after, you know, X number of coaching sessions, it kind of gave me pause because now when I approach my, my subordinates or my peers or even my supervisor, I ask more questions. I ask those open-ended questions. And I said to her, whoa, well, thank you for that, man, because that right there, that's evidence of scalability. And that's evidence of a coaching culture. And so I'm very proud of that. <laughs> just happened this morning, but, you know, I just thought, wow, that's great because it's working. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So from the kind of military perspective and, you know, the Air Force in particular being such a large organization, are there challenges with kind of integrating cultural changes like this? I think regardless of the size of any organization, culture change is difficult, right? That paradigm shift from the way it used to be to something new, there's always fear of change, right? And fear of the unknown, fear of, of going beyond the status quo, right? Or changing the status quo, if you will. So I think that we have been successful because our initiatives started, actually, they, it started more as a grassroots approach, but at the same time, we had senior leader buy-in and senior leader support. So it was almost sandwiched in. And so not every organization has that. I realize that. But that has helped, that has helped propel, I think, our coaching culture. There's constant messaging that has to happen. I don't know if that's a challenge, but that's something that people need to be aware of. There's so many times in probably every organization that an initiative starts or a program starts, and then it just kind of fizzes away and nobody knows what happened to it. Right. And so, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, so we just have to, you just have to constantly, you know, show the benefits. And that's another thing. It's not on one hand, it's difficult to show a return on investment for coaching, but on the other hand, it's not. <laughs> if you have someone who's participating in coaching, I mean, I want to say 99% of the time, as long as they're aware of what coaching is and how it's different from mentoring, they walk away just blown away by the effect that coaching has. And this was an approach that we did take. We started off with our senior uh, leaders, with our executives, and we provided them with the opportunity to receive coaching. And the reason for that is we wanted to have those early adopters who could come in and say, wow, there really is a benefit. And <laughs> It's funny because as coaches, we know that the, the client does all the work, but they're constantly saying, oh, my coach did this, my coach did that. You know, we need our coaches, but that's the beauty of coaching though, right? It really comes from within the person. We're just asking those questions. Yeah. We call it the magic of coaching in the cohorts. There we go. And, and you, I was just in a session earlier today with two people in the cohort and I said, I guarantee you before this is up, you're going to see that magic. You might not think it right now, but you're going to see mm -hmm. it. So as I hear you talk, you're describing two very different roles of coaching. One, a formal relationship that the colonel was in that you just described, where she's a leader being coached by a professional coach. But in a broader perspective, it's a coaching style of leadership, mm -hmm. which is really how you get the culture to change. Could you describe for us in your own mind, how is that different from 20th century leadership now that we're in the 21st century? 
Well, I can definitely describe the difference. I hope I can articulate the difference between a coaching style of leadership and past leadership styles within the military, right? So in the past, of course, a lot of times it was, you've got your, it's very structured, right? It's very chain of command oriented. You've got your, the supervisor and the subordinate subordinates. And basically, unless you're being ordered to break a law or, or, or to commit a crime, you will do what your supervisor tells you to do. And even, I think even in that case, I think you're still supposed to do it, but then you can report it, <laughs> something to that effect. Mm -hmm. Now with a coaching style of leadership, it's transformational leadership. It's not transactional in any way. It's mm. asking the, the, your subordinate or your peer or even your supervisor, you know, what, what kind of options are available instead of providing the answer. And, and I think that the beauty of that is when the answer comes from the person, then they're more accountable to carry through and to be committed to whatever that answer is to whatever question. You mentioned that, you know, the hierarchical uh, structure of the military. Um, is the coaching culture um, kind of butting heads with that at all? Or, or are there changes going on in the structure of the Air Force as well that are kind of enabling? Yeah. So I, I kind of have a two-part answer for that. The first one is, uh, just in my conversation this morning with that colonel, she did say, you know, sometimes there are times when we have to say, quote unquote, shut up in color, right? <laughs> in the military. But in our conversation, what really came out from that is as long as you've got trust and transparency and show vulnerability as a leader, your subordinates or your the people who are fall underneath you or your direct reports, if you will, when it comes to that crucial point where you have to tell them what to do, that they will do it without question. And so it's not that we're trying to change that because in the military, there are times when you need to be told what to do and what to execute and how to execute it. But we also know that we're not always in wartime. We're not always in those critical situations. And that by creating this coaching culture and having this coaching skills approach or methodology to leadership, then we are cultivating this, this environment that makes it even easier for your direct reports or your subordinates to do what you need them to do at that critical time. So that's, that's the first part of my answer. The second part is I do know that there are organizations within the Air Force that are piloting um, what they call flat organizations. So there's not that hierarchy. There's not that chain of command, if you will. And I have yet to see how it's going to end up. I don't know. But it's, the approach is to have more, instead of having this chain of command, having what they call coaches who are the team leaders. Not sure if they truly mean coaches in the sense of what we would consider a coach to be, mm -hmm. but that's kind of the approach that they're taking. So if I'm leading a complex organization and I want to start a coaching program and I have a blank chalkboard in front of me, what do I need to do in that first hundred days? Mm-hmm. You need to do a lot of research, and by that I mean best practices, both in the corporate world and within the, the Department of Defense or federal agencies. You need to get your other stakeholders engaged. You need to include their perspective, and you need to find out what's missing. Well, like what's, what's the gap, and how can you fill that, that gap, and what's the need to fill? Yeah. 
but also know that I think we all know this culture change takes time. It's, it will not happen overnight. And even though we're trying to create this or build this coaching culture, culture is organic in and of itself. And so it has to happen naturally, but we can highlight perhaps those needs or those gaps and provide a solution. And, and in our case, that's what coaching did or is doing for us. So personally for you, Melissa, um, what have you kind of gotten out of coaching in your sessions? What kind of magic have you seen personally? I think I kind of alluded to it earlier that it just, and, and I want to say, I don't want to, um, I don't want to brag, but I, I do. <laughs> but you will. <laughs> no, but I do have to tell you that it feels really, really good to have when s someone say, oh, thank you. You helped me so much. But we have to constantly remind these people that we didn't, we really didn't do, I mean, we have this methodology, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we didn't do it. And it's just, I just love to see that and to hear that. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about, oh, okay, what are some of my successes in coaching? And honestly, I think it is this. So each time I am about to have a coaching session, I will send the client a coach prep form. And on that prep form, it asks about their wins for the, you know, the last two weeks or however long some of their challenges, some of the things that they've accomplished, some of the things that they didn't accomplish, so on and so forth. But then the last question is, what would you like to explore at our next coaching session? And I know that I have been successful or that they've been successful when they say, gosh, I don't know. And they put an exclamation mm. point next to me. <laughs> and I know my job has been done. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, that's a win. That's a win when they say, gosh, I don't know what to talk about. I think I've already worked out, you know, some of the things that I really wanted to work on. And I feel like I'm in a really good place right now. And to me, that's a win. So we've known each other for a couple of years now. and I've had the opportunity to observe you and see your work and your work ethic. If somebody wants to become you, what's the critical path to becoming you? So have you ever heard of the four burners? No. So a friend of mine told me about this like probably five years ago. And there's four, each of us have four burners. Just kind of like think of the burners on the stove, right? We've got our work burner, our family burner, our social burner, and our health burner. And you can normally have one, maybe two burners on high at the time, at the same time, but you can't have all four on at the same time. And well, fortunately for me, my work burner is always on. <laughs> And so, you know, when you ask me, how did I get here? I, I don't, I don't, it, it's part of me. That's, that's what I do. I love what I do. And that's, a, I, I really do love what I do. <laughs> and so I think just having that passion helps. And then, like you said, I just recent, recently got married. And so I have a fulfilling part of relationship and a, a very good partner who's very supportive of me. And I think that that's important. And that's why I say it's, it's don't forget your family because that burner also needs to, to burn or to be on high. And so I don't think I could have done it on my own. And it feels really good to not be on my own and to have a partner and a best friend. You mentioned that, you know, you're doing what you're passionate about. Do you have any advice for young people that are, they might not know, oh, what am I, what gets me excited about work? And maybe they're just waiting for the perfect opportunity and what should they do? You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question. 
I hope I'm saying the right things. You know, I've had that. I've had, you know, I don't think I mentioned this. I used to teach at a university as well. I used to teach English as a second language and English composition. And I remember a student of mine, gosh, so many years ago, who told me that very same thing. Like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know if I want to be in college. I don't know, you know. And I remember, like, feeling this very big sense of responsibility. Like, oh, how, how am I going to answer that? And I, my answer was explore, right? So we're not necessarily, I probably shouldn't have said this, but we're not necessarily in college just to get that one degree, right? We're there to explore. And so that would be my answer. Explore, you know, try out. I mean, I didn't realize I actually started going to school to get a bachelor's in French, French language and culture. I loved it, but then I happened to happen upon cultural anthropology and I ended up with two degrees because I loved both so much. Not that that's for everyone and, and you know, college may not be for everyone, but I think exploring and having that curiosity is what will help guide you. As I listen to you, I'm reminded of there's two things that you and I and Lucas in this development world can't give someone. You can't give them more intelligence. Mm. You can make them more knowledgeable through education and training. But And then the second thing you can't give them is drive. Mm-hmm. You got that drive, wherever it comes from, you have it. I have it. Lucas has it. Lucas just finished his MBA, by the way. Congratulations. So I was on the phone this morning with your Army counterpart, and he brought up a very common topic of toxic leadership. Talk to me about the relationship between coaching and toxic leadership, if you will. Well, like you said, you can't give someone more intelligence. You can't give them that drive. But as a coach, you can help them introspect and reflect. And as long as a toxic leader is open to coaching, which is also something that might not happen, and kind of are able to introspect and reflect on their coaching or their leadership style, I think that coaching is very beneficial because they might be able to say, wow, here I thought I was having a problem with X, but really it was my approach. (laughs) You know, people aren't listening to me because oh, wow, I happen to be very standoffish and they don't want to talk to me or my office is not as productive as I want them to be. Oh, is that because perhaps I don't allow them to ask questions or you know, to come to me with ideas? And so I think that coaching is very beneficial as long as the, the leader who is quote-unquote toxic is open to receiving those questions and to do the work, the hard work, because coaching, oh, that's another thing. It's magical, right? but it requires a lot of work on the part of the client. As long as that person is willing to do that, then I think it, it's very beneficial. So what do you think it is about 2022? Why are we moving towards coaching culture more across different organizations? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, as I mentioned before, I, uh, coaching, let, let's take coaching and mentoring, right? One is not better than the other. And in fact, Some would argue that coaching is a form of mentoring, but we won't get into that. The way I look at it is it's kind of a continuum, just like leadership. You've got different leadership styles throughout history and so on and so forth. I think that this, that coaching just as mentoring is a tool. And I think it's a, a newer tool or a tool that was much less known, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago that has been exposed, brought up to the surface. And people are now saying, oh, wow, 
not only can we be mentors, but we can be coaches or receive coaching. And it's just another tool in the toolbox to become a more productive member of society, employee, leader, boss, partner, that's that sort of thing. I think the beauty too of coaching is it's not just career, it's not career oriented. So it, it can help you both in the professional realm and in the personal realm, which makes sense, right? Because they tell us not to bring our work home or our home to work, but we do. <laughs> so one is not without the other. So I think it's just, again, just like a new tool in the toolkit or in the toolbox. So it sounds like part of coaching, you have to be a willing participant. Is that fair to say? Very fair. So when we're, when we're teaching the cohorts, oftentimes we talk about voluntolds. People who show up at your coaching doorstep because someone told them to come or demanded that they come mm -hmm. or whatever mechanism. How do I coach somebody who hasn't yet been convinced of the value? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is unfortunate that some people have been voluntold. That's something that we try to make clear in our marketing, that coaching is voluntary. But you're right, it probably happens that some have been told or it was highly suggested to them. And you're right, they might be extremely guarded when they first come into the session. And I think it's important just as it's important as a leader. I know, JR, you're, you're actually growing or cultivating leader coach leaders, right? Leader coaches, right? And so as a leader and as a coach, it's so important to build that trust with that client, to be open with them, to be vulnerable with them, and to be very, very clear about what this, what coaching is and what coaching isn't. And I think that, you know, we might get resistance here and there, you know, but I think that just by virtue of using our coaching skills or what we've been taught as coaches to just really be just genuine listeners, I think that guard kind of comes down and they kind of, they understand, wow, okay, this person's not trying to tell me what to do. This is not a punishment. This is actually an opportunity. You know, with each session, things get better and better. But it's funny that you mentioned being voluntold and, and so on and so forth. I just had another client that we just uh, finished up our, our coaching engagement. And one of his feedback in the feedback form was, I was very skeptical of coaching because I had a bad coach in 2018, <laughs> but he still wanted to try it again. And so I think there's still that genuine curiosity, even though, you know, they might be a little bit resistant. They're so curious. Like, what is this? What is this magic? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of on that note, but from the organizational standpoint, if I'm an employee and I've never seen coaching leadership and I'm hearing us talk about it and that sounds pretty good. And so what does it look like from the outside? You know, Yeah, I think that leaders who use the coaching mindset are the ones who are open to ideas. They ask questions. They're vulnerable. Like I said, they share with you, you know, parts of their lives or, you know, what, what they're experiencing. And they're extremely supportive. It's almost like you've got your nest with the, the little chicklings and, the, and the, the mother bird, right? And so that mother bird's not going to keep them in their nest the whole time. She's going to say, you know, it's go ahead. It's go, go explore. And I think that that's kind of a coaching mindset, right? Because they're not going to, she's not going to 
keep that bird from growing and developing and and reaching their full potential. Yeah, that's kind of scary as a parent, right? Like you've got to let go and let them make <laughs> mistakes and get hurt and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I love that analogy. And I've never connected those two together, coaching and letting someone grow and fly away. It just reminds me of non-coaching leaders or perhaps even toxic leaders. No, you can't go to training because you've got to stay here and work. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the literature is really clear. But if you develop your leaders, your, your team, they're more likely to stay. Intuitively, you would say, what if I, there's a classic discussion between the CFO and the CEO. The CFO asks, what if we train them and they leave? And the CEO says, but what if we train them, don't train them and they stay, <laughs> right? I've heard you mention the word vulnerability at least four times. I'm a, a former Marine, but you know, even if I'm not, that word might not rest easily with me. What are you asking me to do? I guess it comes down to being open and not being this stoic leader, letting your guard down and kind of letting people know that, you know, oh, I make mistakes too. And sometimes I feel this way as well. And admitting when you've made a mistake, how many times have you run across a leader, at least in the past, who sticks by what they said and they're not, regardless of the evidence that that was probably not the right choice, still stands by that. But a vulnerable leader will say, you know what, I made a mistake and we need to course correct and I need your help. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. I, yeah, I just saw this article that was, it was Tom Cruise on a movie set and, and another actor was saying he never admits when he's wrong. He just <laughs> says, nope, that wasn't me. <laughs> and to maintain his authority. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's definitely a tendency when you're a leader, I think you want to have that shield up, like say how strong you are and everything, but it seems like that's counterintuitive, right? Mm -hmm. So looking at your personal motivations, what to you is so exciting about, you know, being involved in coaching, coaching training and mm -hmm. coach culture and everything? Mm -hmm. I think it's because I see the transformation. I could see the change at the individual level. I could see the change at the organizational level. Again, like I said, we're, we're still just, we're not at the run stage yet, right? There's still a long way to go, but it's like working in a flower shop. 99% of the time, your customers are happy. <laughs> you know, they're buying flowers because they're happy. And anyone who's engaged in coaching, whether it be coach training or receiving coaching or learning about coaching skills, 99% of the time they come out and they say, wow, that was life-changing. And to be a part of that is just gratifying. And it, it just feels good to know that I'm part of this cultural change, this paradigm shift, and that it's really for the good of our organization and good for the, the, the individuals that are participating. I know, JR, you mentioned about training and, and the individuals staying or going. What we've found so far is with coaching, a lot of our airmen and guardians want to stay in the military. They feel more prepared for their job and they feel that they've got this support. So that, that really uh, plays into that resiliency piece. And so from what I could see beneficial all the way around. 
Yeah, be careful not to defy any confidentialities, but I was in a coaching session a few days ago. I do a lot of mentor coaching. Mm-hmm. So when you mentor coach, you're the mentor in the room with a leader being coached and then a coach under evaluation. And it happened to be a brother and a sister. Mm-hmm. And usually when they come in, because I've had brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, brothers and brothers, children and parent. Uh, and so it's always a favor. I'm going to do dad a favor. I'm going to do my sister a favor. And he literally changed her life. Mm. And so it's over three sessions. And so across the arc of those three sessions, she was on a different career path. She was 100% more confident. And it blew them both away. Mm. And it blew me away. In some small way, I got to be part of that. So, yeah, that's the fuel for our fire when we're coaching, to be a part of that. I'm glad you're on the same ROI challenge that I am because my leadership, which you and I share leadership, has begun asking me about the ROI. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned how difficult it is. I think, so I've been in this leadership development world for 25 or so years, and it's a perennial question. The best that the literature can tell us is the coefficients are positive. We can't tell you how many cupfuls. And I think you and I talked about this a couple of years ago when we first met. So how are you? aggregating data, quantitative or qualitative, so that you can, we, you and I both can begin to ask, answer those questions. Mm-hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said quantitatively and qualitatively, because with coaching, I think you need both, because it is more difficult to quantify the ROI than it is to show testimonials, which are extremely powerful in and of themselves. But what we've done and what we're trying to do with the Air Force is take our core competencies and try to use them or align them with questions that show growth in those different areas. So I mentioned resiliency, I mentioned readiness, retention, that sort of thing. And so that's how we're doing it. We're trying to formulate questions that kind of encompass those core competencies, which we all want, right? And if we find a gap, or something that is not up to what we would consider acceptable, then that's, that's a beautiful opportunity for leadership to kind of zoom in on that or hone in on that and figure out a solution. So um, one thing that we found with coaching is that our Air Force, and it, it could be for several reasons, and I'm sure COVID has a lot to do with it, and teleworking has a lot to do with it, but we're struggling with focus right now. And so how do you work on that? I, I, I don't know, but that's, that's for our leadership to be aware of so that they know that, you know what, there's something that's going on here. I mean, coaching is working, but it's also showing us where our gaps are, which is also important. So like I said, focus is one that's really, it's something that we're, and I'm sure it's probably everywhere, but that's something that I think that needs to be perhaps a priority from a leadership standpoint, to try to figure out how how we can ameliorate that. Like I said, I think it comes, going off on a tangent a little bit, but I do think that that comes from COVID and working from home, and especially if you've got, you know, young children or, you know, the mailman's knocking on your door or, you know, the repair guy is fixing your your AC, (laughs) that sort of thing. And the fact that, wow, we're at our desks at least eight hours a day, right? And there's no break between meetings either. So I can tell that you appreciate analogies. You've brought up some really good ones so far. So looking at your personal hobbies or, you know, 
anything that you're doing outside of work, do you find that you bring that to work and that that helps you be a better leader? And if you do, what is it specifically? Well, that's interesting. I think I do bring it to work. So I love to cook, but I specifically love to explore different recipes from around the world, from different cultures. And I think that that stems from my love for different cultures and languages and and so on and so forth. And I think that for me, that's that curiosity that I have that just cannot be tamed. (laughs) And so for me, um, I found myself in a working environment where I have one of the best supervisors I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm able to, you know, go to him and say, you know what, I wonder if we could do this or what about this? And I think that that's that curiosity that I bring to the table from my hobby of cooking to to work. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.